tonight's a special night. Um, tonight we have Cole Roberts coming. Cole, Cole's dad and I have known each other for 25 years. Our wives went to nursing school together, um, and we knew, knew each other in a, in a different time. Uh, but I've gotten to meet Cole over the years through his dad. Uh, I've got to see him grow up, and I've got to see him two or three times a year. And I, you know, I, I'm around him. I've gone to see him play some of his games. His dad shared some stuff with me, uh, and I'm like, you know, this this is a, this kid's mature. This kid's got it together. Uh, not putting pressure on you, Cole. <laughs> but I was like, he's different. He's just different. And so I was able to go um, his graduation. He just graduated high school two months ago, like a lot of you guys did. And he's head, heading to Liberty University um, in, the, in, in the fall. So he'll be going in, what, two weeks. And I got to go, and I got to see his peers around me, people that he went to school with, people that he played with. And I didn't know any of them. And I got to sit there and I ate supper and I got to listen to them talk about Cole and what Cole did for them in his in their four years. Of how he prayed for them. Of how he reached out to them. He was doing things I was like, this is unbelievable. He's got a heart for Christ. He, he, he not only talks it, but he walks it. He's a pleasure to be around. He caught a four-pounder this morning. He went bass fishing, so he could fish a little bit. Um, but we had a great, he, he's a great guy. Um, and then I was like, guys, we got to have him here. We got to have him here to, to Rose in the Field. Come get to talk to some young guys about guys who are walking, um, getting ready to walk out of their houses for the first time. Maybe they're already out of their houses. Maybe they're in college and, and you've been under your mom and dad and you've been under, and we've all been here. You've been under your mom and dad and, you, and you've now all of a sudden, faith, your faith becomes on you. You're in the real world a little bit. So, We've all dealt with that, and we've all had to stand on our on our own two feet on what we believe. And so I was like, I really just came to call and ask him, and he was he was more than happy to come speak to us. Um, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Uh, so, Cole, come on up. I'm gonna pray for Cole real quick. Lord, we just thank you for uh, this time that you set aside. Um, Lord, we thank you for Cole. We thank you for this time that he is. He set aside in his in his busy life right now, getting ready to leave, to come share with us. Uh, Lord, we just ask you to speak through him. We ask you to just walk through him as he enters the next phase of his life as he's going to college. Uh, Lord, we ask for open uh, ears, open hearts. Uh, Lord, that we may be stirred through this word. And that we may just not only hear it, but go out and be doers of your word. Uh, we thank you for all these uh, many blessings that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is truly a blessing uh, to be here tonight and have the opportunity to come and speak to you all. Uh, we all are just broken vessels, right? We are all sinful people here in this room, but I'm thankful that uh, God chooses to use us for his purposes. Um, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in this place tonight. Uh, Mr. Kevin kind of stole half my intro about where I'm from and my name and where I'm going to school and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, but I'm thankful to have gotten to meet a lot of you in this room, thanks to the fact that Mr. Kevin seems to know the whole town of Washington. Um, but it's a blessing to be here tonight, uh, and I am thankful for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I heard a statement a while back. I went to a small Christian school in Clayton, uh, where I'm from, around where I'm from. 
And one of my Bible teachers, uh, he put a statement up on the board, and it really challenged me. One of the most profound statements I've ever heard in my life. And the statement was, profess belief added to your actual lifestyle equals what you actually believe. So in other words, what, what someone says they believe with their lips and how someone actually lives, when you add those two together, that equates to what they actually believe. And I remember I was sitting in class, and this statement really cut me to the core as a professing follower of Jesus, as it probably does for a lot of people in this room, about the fact that, man, it's so easy as followers of Christ to say one thing with our lips, to, to commit our ways to the Lord with our mouth, and then to go on and live a completely different lifestyle on, on the daily basis. To say we're followers of Jesus, to say we go to church, to say we do all these things, but then to live a life uh, that really isn't the life we're called to live as Christians. Um, and so that's what I've been asked to talk about tonight. What it truly means to live as a Christian through and through. Uh, not just talk the talk, uh, but also walk the walk as well. Um, and my prayer is that as we open God's word, which is the source of truth in this world and a world full of lies um, and division, God's word is the truth. Um, and so as we open it tonight, my prayer is uh, that he will work in this place in our hearts. And so if you'll please turn your Bibles, if you have them on your phones or whatnot, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 27 tonight. James chapter 1, 19 through 27. Uh, while you're turning there, context is super important when we look at the Bible. Uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing an epistle, a, a letter to scattered Jewish Christians who are outside the Palestine area uh, a couple years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, these people was writing to under persecution, they're under poverty, they're under social conflict. And he's writing this letter pretty much giving them practical wisdom on how to live as followers of Jesus in a sinful world. And so this is what he says. I hope you're there. Uh, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I believe as we go through this text tonight, we're just going to go through verse by verse. And I believe the main idea that we're going to see throughout the entirety of the text is this. is that a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ, will be both a hearer and a doer of the word of God in their life, really just as a, as a result of their, over, of their overflowing, gospel-driven, redeemed heart. Right, The true Christian, as we're going to see from this text, is going to be someone who has a hunger, who has a desire to, to hear the truth and to receive the truth. Not only just hear the truth, but also put it into practice, to be a doer of the truth in their life. And the Christian, the true believer, does this not so he can earn his salvation, not so he can do enough good things to, to earn his way into heaven. We're all flawed. None of us can do that. But the true Christian does this because he recognizes how fallen he is, but how much... He yearns and desires to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to God. Number one, a true Christian will be a hearer of the word of God. Look back at verse 19 with me. 
It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so when I first looked at this verse when I was studying it, I originally thought, James has just given some practical advice to Christians. Right? He's just given some practical wisdom. Christians should be people who listen to others first, who respond humbly, who respond uh, not in anger but in grace. Uh, it makes sense. These are biblical principles. But when I actually dug into this passage and looked at the context of the passage, James is actually saying something along the same lines but a little bit different. If you look back at verse 18, James says, Of his own will he, meaning God, brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So starting in verse 18, James is building this, this idea, this argument that Christians, followers of Jesus, he's followers of Jesus, he's writing to Christians, these people have been saved, they've been redeemed by the hearing of the word of God. And so he starts in verse 19 in that premise where he's, he's building this argument about the believer's continual relationship with the word. And he says, know this, my beloved brothers. He's giving them a, a loving and affectionate command. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In other words, Christians, followers of Jesus, should be quick to hear, should have a hunger and a desire to hear the truth of God's word. Not only this, but they should be slow to speak in rebellion and disagreement to God's word. And they should be slow to anger in response to God's word. See, I think a problem that a lot of us run into in our lives, myself included, is we can go into church uh, with closed ears and prideful hearts. And the pastor will get up there and he'll, he'll preach a, a fantastic sermon, right? He'll, he'll preach something that's, that's biblical, that applies to our lives. We understand it. And then he goes well, in one ear and out the other. We don't, we're not quick to hear. We're not slow to speak. Instead, we, we respond in anger to the truth. This truth that convicts us, that, that points out where we're wrong. Instead of heeding the truth, we go and, and disregard it as inapplicable, irrelevant. And we go on and live a completely different lifestyle with our lives but James says the opposite here. He says that a Christian, someone who is a true follower of Jesus, they should be quick to hear the word of God, slow to speak, and slow to anger. They should receive the truth quietly, humbly, and submissively. Why? He gives the answer in verse 20. He says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, if I sit here and hear my pastor preach a sermon, and my, and my immediate response is anger and dismissal of the truth, this doesn't apply to me. He's not right about this. He's not right about calling me out. The righteousness of God will not be produced in this person's life. Someone said, and I found this little saying, I thought it was cool. They said, stop fighting God's word and submit to it. I was, um, when I was in eighth grade, I had a teacher named Miss Ham. Uh, she has since passed away, um, but she made, honestly, one of the most profound impacts on my life, an impact that I didn't recognize at the time, uh, but now looking back, uh, she impacted me in the most, uh, in, the, in the greatest, in one of the greatest ways in my life. Uh, she used to do these little meetings, uh, well, she'd call us out of the room, I don't know if it was every quarter, every semester, and she talked to us personally as individuals uh, about some areas in our walks with Christ where she sees fruit where we're following Jesus faithfully. And she talked to us about some areas in our lives where we, we, weren't, we weren't living for Jesus. We were not glorifying God. Not in a demeaning way, but, but in a discipling way, a, a, a hunger to see us grow. I remember one time she called me out of the room uh, for one of these checks, and she pretty much called me out. Um, she pretty much told me that I was influencing other people. I was being influenced by my friends, uh, just, just living immaturely. Uh, I was in eighth grade at the time, right? And being a guy, it's really easy to get caught up 
and, and talking immaturely and crude joking and all this type of stuff. And I was living that way. And she essentially called me out and, and told me the deal. And I remember when I, when I first heard this, she told me this, and my immediate response was anger, was disagreement, was retaliation. My ears were closed, my heart was prideful, and man, I was going to keep living the way I was living. I remember I walked back home, and, and, or not walked back home, I rode back home and, and talked to my dad, and I was like, she, does, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She, she's not right. Like, I, I'm not really living this way. What I'm doing is okay. The Bible doesn't really condemn this. She, she doesn't know me. And for about a couple of days, I was living in that anger. And then a couple of days later, she caught me in the very act. We were sitting at lunch. We were eating inside because it was raining. And she walked over to my table, and she literally just said, Philippians 4.8. She didn't read anything. She didn't tell me anything. She just said, Philippians 4.8. And by God's providence, I believe I had my Bible with me. And I looked it up. And it was finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And uh, therefore, as we think on these things, our lives should reflect that truth. And once again, I, I was so angry. I was, I was so mad. I mean, she told me the deal again pretty much in front of all my friends in the acts. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, this is embarrassing. Pride kicked in. My ears were closed. About two or three weeks, I lived this way. And then eventually, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, which I was a believer at the time, the Holy Spirit finally grabbed my heart, gripped my heart, and I recognized, you know what? She's right. I'm living wrongly. And I, I am a personal testimony to how living in anger to the truth of God's Word, responding in anger to the truth of God's Word, does not produce the righteousness of God. But because of God's grace and His mercy and the power of His Spirit, eventually the words that she said got to my heart and were evidence coming out of my mouth. Um, and the righteousness of God was, was produced in my life, not because of anything I've done, but because of, of God's continual grace and mercy, because it's, it's a continual path. It's a continual growth for all of us, especially with the words we speak. And so James is building this argument, right? He, he's building this argument that Christians should be a hearer of the word of God. That's why he says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, set aside sin in your life. In the original language I found in my study, this word filthiness, what it's derived from in the original Greek, when it's used in a medical sense, actually kind of denotes earwax. And so it may be a stretch, but James is promoting this idea of like, like when you're receiving God's word, clear out the earwax. Set aside the sin in your life that can, that can serve as obstacles, penetrable obstacles, but real obstacles to the reception of the truth. And he says, receive with meekness. With, with a humble, with a teachable spirit, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now this save here, right? We're, we're, this is being written to Christians. So it's obviously not talking about uh, like, like getting saved by the grace of God that moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Instead, this word save here, he's talking about the continual process of a believer becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. He's talking about sanctification being cleansed of our sin daily and living more in conformity and alignment to the truth of God's word. And so James is saying that, that the true believer, the true follower of Jesus should set aside sin in their life and wrongdoing, these hindrances to the truth, and instead humbly accept God's word as authoritative in their life. Therefore, a true Christian should humbly hear truth. But he doesn't stop there. And the problem is, a lot of us as Christians, we stop there. Uh, but number two, he, he says that a true Christian will also be a doer of the word. Look at verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
So therefore, a true follower of Jesus won't just hear the word of God with their ears, but they'll actually live out the truth in their lives. They'll, they'll live faithfully for Jesus Christ. They'll do the word as he uses the language in this text. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, I, I looked in my studies and I found the word for hearers in the original language actually refers to someone who, who audits a class. And so I'm going into college. I didn't really know what auditing a class was, so I had to look it up. But apparently, uh, auditing a class is when you go and sit in a college class, usually. Um, and instead of actually going and, and doing the work, doing the quizzes or tests or exams or whatever you have in college papers, uh, this person really just hears the words. They, they take in the information, and they never do anything with their life. They never actually respond to the truth or respond to the, the teaching of the professor with quizzes or tests or anything like that. And so James is saying, as believers, we shouldn't audit the word of God. We shouldn't merely just hear the truth. He's saying we should do the truth with an active, active lifestyle. He uses this analogy of a mirror. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. In other words, someone who merely hears the truth all their life and never does it, this person is like a man who goes and looks at himself in the mirror sees a spot on his face, his hair is messed up, and he leaves and he doesn't change. But James says a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus will be one who hears and does the truth. He says the one who looks into the perfect law, meaning God's word, the inerrant, infallible, sufficient God's word, God's word the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In other words, the follower of Jesus, right, who doesn't just hear the truth of God's word, but applies it to their life and practically lives that out, this person will be blessed. Not because their life is, is all fine and dandy. Us Christians in here know that if we're following Jesus faithfully with our lives, our lives are not always perfect. It's not just a bed of roses that we walk through. We struggle, we fall, we make mistakes. But the true follower of Jesus, who is a doer of the word of God, his portion, his all in all, his everything is found in Christ. So no matter what circumstance he goes through, no matter what he's struggling with, his faith is fixated on Jesus Christ. Like Mr. Jonathan said in his prayer, he said, Jesus is the only thing worth living for. And so for the person who doesn't just hear the truth of God's word, but does it in their lives, they're blessed and they're doing because Jesus Christ is their portion. He is their prize. Notice that I skipped. Um, a phrase in verse 22. He says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James essentially says, right, there are people who live their lives continually hearing the truth of God's word and never put it into practice, and they deceive themselves. You may ask, well, what does deceive yourselves mean? I, I ask the same question. Uh, and in reality, deceive yourselves means someone is self-deceived about their own spiritual state. Right? They think they're a Christian. They think they're a follower of Jesus. And in reality, they're not. I do want to make the point here. Um, like me in the Miss Ham example. A true follower of Jesus does have times in their lives where they may struggle with seasonal sin. They may uh, veer off the path. Uh, Mr. Uh, Pop was just telling me right here before we started 
that, that a lot of times as Christians we can veer off the path, but as long as we get back on the path, a place further than where we veered off, God used that for his glory. And uh, I believe that as a follower of Jesus, there are times where we can neglect the truth, where we can merely hear the word and not put it into practice in our lives, and we can be deceiving ourselves. However, James is warning against what I believe is a very big problem, a very big flare-up, um, really, within all the churches we see, especially in America. Um, there is a real big issue with the fact that there are many people that go to church every Sunday. They go to youth group every Wednesday night. They, they listen to sermons on their way to work. They listen to podcasts. They're around Christian people. Maybe they read the Bible for themselves. And they think that merely hearing the word in their lives is enough, and they never put it into practice. There is no fruit in their lives. And James says that these people are self-deceived. Now, you may be saying, Colt, we're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by our fruit. Right? The Christian is not saved just because he does things, and you're exactly right. But the Bible makes it clear time and time again, over and over again, that the true follower of Jesus will have fruit in their lives because of the fact that they are redeemed in their heart. In other words, the truth that they hear on Sunday mornings goes through their ears, takes root in their heart, and they live it out in their lives. But there are people, man, um, I see it over and over again. There are people that, man, they haven't missed a Sunday in 10 years. They're in church every week. That They continually hear the word of God, and in reality, they are self-deceived because they think that hearing is enough. They think just going to church saves them, but it does not. Going to this place tonight does not save you. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Through what he's done on the cross, through his resurrection, by placing your faith and trust in him, your eternity is secure. This is the only way a man can be saved. And so I say this with gentleness tonight. James is making it clear, right, that, if, that a follower of Jesus will not just hear the truth of God's word, but they'll put it into practice in their lives. But I also say this as a warning. There are people maybe in this room tonight they continually hear the truth. They don't live it out in their life. There is no fruit. And you think you're a Christian just because you go to church and you hear the truth all the time. But in reality, you've never met the word incarnate Jesus Christ. You've never actually placed your faith and trust in him for your salvation. And so the call tonight for you is to repent and believe the gospel. But James goes on. Point number three. He says a, a true Christian hears and does this because of his gospel-driven, overflowing heart. Look what he says in verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This passage right here reminds me of the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he tells this, this story about how there are people on Judgment Day that will come up before the, the, the throne of judgment and say, Jesus, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these good works in your name? Why, why, why are we, uh, or why, did we not do all these good things? And Jesus responds to them and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And James is calling out this same thing in this passage. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, if someone thinks they do enough good things to earn their salvation, if they say enough good things or, or do enough good things in their lives, but they don't bridle their tongue but deceive their heart, this person's religion is worthless. The word for worthless here is the same word used uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul was talking about the resurrection. And he says that Paul was not uh, raised. Our, our faith is in vain. Our faith is worthless. 
And so James says, hey, there are people in this world that think they're religious because they do a bunch of things in their life, but their tongue says otherwise, and their hearts are deceived. You may ask, why does the tongue matter? Why does James point out the tongue? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, right, a man's tongue can be said to audibly display his heart. Charles Spurgeon, who some people call the prince of preachers, says that an unbridled tongue indicates a godless heart. And so in other words, the point James is making is like, hey, if, if someone is continually living sinfully with their mouth, if they never display any sort of, of Christian attitude with the words they speak, in reality it just points to the, the, the fact that while they may do a bunch of good things and they think they're saved, in reality their hearts are dead in sin. Once again, right, Christians, I fall with my words all the time. I, I say the wrong things, I, I think the wrong things, and they come out of my mouth. We respond in anger, absolutely. There's a reason Paul says in his epistles constantly that we should not be slanderers or gossips or, or, or murderers with the tongue. Instead, we should live differently. But the reason he says this is because we struggle with this. However, once again, there's a problem within the church today where there's a lot of people who think they're religious because they do enough good things. And in reality, their tongues display their inner condition of their heart, and they're not believers in Christ at all. But James goes on to show what true religion looks like, what true hearing and doing of the Word of God looks like. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, he says in verse 27. Outward expressions of faith that, that, are, that are genuine, that are sincere before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, right, right, hearing and doing the word of God, what it truly looks like, what true living for Jesus looks like is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and living holy and living blameless before the world, unstained. When I first read this verse, I was struck by the interesting similarity with the way Christians are called to live their lives in relation to what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ, uh, he died on the cross for the sins of his enemies. He died on the cross for the gossips, for the slanders, for the people that hate him, for, for the prostitutes, for the murders. He died for these people, for all who would call upon his name. Jesus literally came from heaven and, and was wrapped in flesh, the 100% God, 100% man, the incarnate God himself. God in the flesh, he came and lived in the dirt of this earth and died on the cross for the sins of all who would believe in him. And so James is essentially saying, right, as Christians, we ought to do the same thing. We ought to reach for the lowest, help the lowest, show love and grace because of the love and grace we've miraculously been given. All the while, living unstained from the world. Uh, tonight, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure... Um, this came out the way I was desiring it to. Uh, but really, my heart cry from this passage is, first off, to encourage Christians. Uh, it can be so hard to live for Jesus Christ in this world. I'm going into the college scene. There's so many temptations and, and ways to fall off the path. Uh, but, but, but James is given a simple, loving, affectionate command in this passage that followers of Jesus should hear the word of God humbly, should live it out in their life, not to do enough good works 
to save them, not to, to live right so they get the glory, but no, hear the word of God and live it out in their life because of the work that's been done in their heart. Because the gospel has impacted them, and as a result of the love and the grace and the mercy of our Savior, that the truth of the gospel penetrates their heart and then comes out in the way they live their life, visiting orphans and widows, reaching out to the lowest of the lowest, because that's what Jesus has done for us. And so my, my encouragement for Christians in this room, for myself, right, is to be humble hearers of the word of God, to be active doers, to be obedient followers of Jesus in this world. Not so we can do enough good things and, and say we did it all, but no, because of the work that's been done in our hearts, that we ought to go and, and live lovingly and graciously for others. And there's also that element of tonight in this passage. It's like there may be some people in here that, that are self-deceived. Maybe there's some people in here that think that they've done enough good works and their works save them, or, or they think that just because they go to church and hear the word of God all the time, they're a Christian. And the answer to that is the gospel. Maybe there's people in here tonight who have never heard the truth of the gospel. Um, and it's as simple as this. We're all broken individuals. We're all sinners. And because of our sin, we deserve to die and live under the wrath of God for eternity in hell. It's not talked about in the church. But until we recognize our dire state before God, we never recognize the amazing love and grace he has shown us. And so, right, we are all broken, rotten sinners. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came, the perfect God, man, and lived a spotless, blameless life on this earth, a life that we could have never lived. And he died on the cross, a sinner's death, absorbing the full wrath and punishment for the sins of all of those who would come to believe in him. He didn't stay dead. He, he was in the grave for three days, and on the third day he rose to, be, to life promising eternal life, eternal victory, eternal security to anyone and everyone who places their faith in him. And so the call tonight is simple. That if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my prayer is that you would repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you do that tonight, your sins are paid for at the cross. You are washed clean. And Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness is credited to your account. So that when you stand before God, you stand clothed in his righteousness and spotless and blameless because of the grace of God. I want to thank you all for being here tonight um, and, and, and listening and giving me the opportunity. I'm going to pray in just a minute to close. Uh, but my, my final encouragement for us is like if we're Christians in this room, let's go out and be hearers of the truth and livers of the truth each and every day in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and blessing us with this time tonight. Thank you for your word and the truth um, that is your word. God, I pray that you would help us, if we're followers of Jesus in here, to go out and live the truth, to receive the truth humbly, meekly, setting aside sin. And by your grace and mercy and the power of your spirit, I pray, God, that we would go out and be doers of the word, that we would be the light of the world for your glory and your glory alone. God, I pray if there's someone in here that does not know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, regenerate your heart, their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for eternity, turning from their sins and trusting in Christ completely for their salvation. Thank you, God, for all the stories in this room. And that, God, while we all are broken people, you are using us all intricately and powerfully 
for your glory, for your plans and purposes. Uh, God, we give you all the glory for tonight. And we thank you again for your grace and your mercy and love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.